While the children leave and while we do our next reading, I'm going to ask Reverend Richard Robbins, Reverend Ron Allison, and Brendan Jones to come up and um, have a seat. And our second reading comes from Romans 10, verses 5 through 13. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, let me have my, have my seat. So we do have a couple visitors. So a quick reminder of what's going on in this space. We're going through a series called I've Got a Question. And throughout the month of May, um, I've got a feedback. We asked you all, if you so chose, to send in a question. We compiled all those questions, kind of put them in themes, and we'll have a panel up here each week to kind of go through some of them. So worship will not look the same as it normally does. Just a little, little tweak, and we will do our best. I'm marking the time. Do our best not to keep you here till 3 o'clock this afternoon when apparently Southern Miss plays again. So um, just a reminder about that theme. I told you when they sent the questions in that a lot of the questions, surprising to me, were questions about heaven and hell and about salvation, about atonement. So we're going to try to venture into those waters today um, in the little time that we have. We can't hit on them all, and there's tons of scripture we could use, and we can't hit on all of that. But last week, we started the conversation talking about beginnings, because one of your questions was, you know, who created God? So we started at the beginning, talked about beginnings we have in Genesis and Revelation. We looked at the beginnings, pictures of heaven and hell and where they came from and how that image has developed and changed over time, especially in Western Christianity. Um, and so I want to start there, and then I'm going to have a question for you all. So Western Christianity, to date, we just kind of have this image of heaven and hell as a place a place we go to after we die. And that is tied into our understanding of salvation. There's four kind of images held out there around this. One, which a lot of people call the more traditional view, is those who reject God, reject God's goodness, get sent to this place of eternal torment. And those who accept God's goodness, who for us as Christians accept Jesus Christ, go to heaven. The other one is more of a universalist view. God's mercy is available to all. You've got another one that says that God works even past death and will continue to work past death to bring everyone back into right relationship. And then the last one is that we just cease to exist. There's no immortality at all. So the hope for me today, though, is that we make a little shift. 
Like I said last week, the hope in all of this month is that we recapture some of the awe and wonder of our faith, that we realize that maybe the questions is a, is a huge part of what faith is about. We discuss it, we learn more about each other, about God, um, but that we create, ca- recapture some of this wonder. Um, and the hope is we shift a little bit on the questions we ask. Maybe the way we ask the question is different. So not, am I going to heaven or hell, but a way to reframe the question. I'll let her go. He's not happy. I'm going to be, it's, it's all right, Brooke. She's like running out. Um, I'm, I've used a lot of what I have said last week and this week from this book, Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, the Mission of the Church. It's a great book, very weighty, but it's a really good book. And in that book, N.T. Wright makes the argument that heaven and hell are not what the whole ball game is about, which... I think if we really were to sit and talk, we would all agree with that. But it's about God's plan of rescue and recreation for the entire cosmos, for the whole world. That what the Creator God, which we talked about last week, what the Creator God did in Jesus Christ and ultimately with the resurrection is what the Creator God plans to do for the entire cosmos. So then the question then becomes not how do I avoid hell and get to heaven, but how will the creator God work out this new creation? And how do I get to be a part of that? Last week we used Genesis and Revelation to kind of give this overall picture of the great biblical hope that is this. We went full circle and the takeaway you were given was, you know, dust we are, dust we will return, but God can do great things with dust. Now, we're not going to get to all of your questions about heaven and hell, but there's one um, that was a really great question that I think helps us reframe this, Um, and I'm going to ask you all this first. And I've got three today, because I thought for this discussion, it's good to have kind of a a good mix. Um, We've got Richard. Did you grow up Methodist? I meant to ask that before. Um, Grew up Methodist, retired United Methodist minister. Where'd you? Went to Candler? Where'd you go to seminary? Perkins. 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 I'm totally wrong. Ron, who is from the United Brethren, and where did you go to seminary, Ron? Actually, I think uh, it's more like right to say that I'm a Methodist. Okay. Well, then I can. I don't need you then. (laughs) You're right. You're right. We are only united because of the background that Ron brings to the church. Yes, you you are very correct. Are we too close? And then Brandon, who grew up Baptist, correct? And where did you go to seminary? Wake Forest. Wake Forest. That's right. Another. North Carolina Triangle. So this is the question I have for y'all, and I think it's a good way to reframe uh, the question. What role do heaven and hell play in sharing the good news? Um, My response is that um, the church has historically used them as a bait and switch kind of thing, and that it really has nothing to do with heaven and hell, but has to do with the resurrection. We're going to talk more about that later. Good, Good setup. Good. Anyway, that's where I am. Yeah, I think I think it, it's more to talk about how it's been misused uh, in terms of scaring folks uh, into saying the right words, not concentrating on living the right life. Mm. I just jumped in there real quick with a story because we like stories. Um, we had a minister that really liked heaven and hell, and he liked to preach on them, and he preached on them a lot. And 
one particular Saturday morning, um, for some reason I slept in and I woke up at, uh, I think I was like 10, I woke up and discovered that there was nobody in the house. The dog wasn't there, my mom and dad weren't there, my brother Stanley wasn't there, and I thought, oh my gosh, Jesus has come and I've been left behind. <laughs> Fortunately, that wasn't true. Uh, or maybe, <laughs> unfortunately, it wasn't true, but at any rate, that's, you know, one of the things that uh, I find antithetical to the whole concept of God rescuing us. Mm. You know, as a um, lawyer, maybe, um, I feel the need to put a giant disclaimer. I mean, I think that's good for all these conversations, but particularly when we talk about this subject, um, if you came today to get big answers to life questions on hell, then maybe you're going to be a little dissatisfied with where this is going. Um, but I do, I, I think I relate to what Ron and Richard said. I think um, we have to acknowledge, though, when you ask it in the way you did, Dawn, that it is a preoccupation for some of us. And so we have to be able to talk about it. And I think um, probably where we'll get eventually is are we reflective about the emphasis that we put on that? Now, you've noted that I'm a Baptist. I think it's probably worth noting I was a Southern Baptist for quite a while and uh, grew up in a Southern Baptist tradition. And for us, this question of heaven and hell predominated. Like if, if you had asked me along the way, why do you go to church? It would be to either avoid hellfire or to make sure that I go to heaven. And so there's no question that there are mainline denominations where this is the predominant question. So the central, central point, right? which we are going to get to. Yeah, like so you've got to be careful, I think, not to be cavalier in our postmodern way of thinking to just say, oh, that's a silly question, because it is a question that people have, mm -hmm. and it is a question that people wrestle with, and it does kind of draw people in, and then you, the question becomes, well, do we want to keep them there? So I would say it's an introductory question. I hope that those of us who stick around the church long enough graduate from it. Yeah, yeah, which is why I appreciated this person's question of what role does do heaven and hell play in sharing the good news? And I think you all can name that. What role it plays is that it's out there. Um, it is a topic of conversation. It, there are places which we can't name all the scripture in there, and the places they're in scripture have different meanings of why they're in there. Um, but yeah, they're out there. We have to name them. Um, but for me is it comes down to really asking that person um, if someone is so fixated on it are you are you are you pushing your salvation more from a fear of what's happening after death as opposed to the invitation that God is giving us to be involved in this great you know this great work that's being done I mean we'll get to that in a, in a we, second I think it might be helpful to think is there another term to use for heaven Mm. And I think Jesus uses another term called the kingdom of God. Yes. And the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Mm -hmm. So if you're not somehow participating and experiencing the kingdom of God now, yeah. uh, and open your eyes because it's all around you. Yeah. And I'll remind, maybe those of you who missed, but also remind you, we, when we were talking about the beginnings of heaven, we named that, that for Jesus, it was about God's kingdom here, present, active, living, moving among you, um, and then heaven being this, uh, God's presence. 
yeah, the place of God's presence. So I am going to shift because, like you said, uh, this is part of the conversation. So this is ultimately where the conversation goes. Um, if we do believe that God's great purpose is kind of recreation, remaking the world, making all right with the world, mending all that has been broken, and we believe in a God that is a God of justice, well then, logically, assuming God works with logic, um, setting the world right means kind of the elimination of all that distorts God's good and lovely creation. Kind of, you know, getting rid of the bad, keeping the good if we're going to remake it. Um, so how do you hold that tension, knowing it's part of, of, um, of the conversation? How do you hold that tension? Um, what about those who do reject the goodness of God? What about people who aren't Christian? Um, where does God's justice factor into the conversation? It's a, I think it's a deep mystery, but we just sang a song a second ago that I love about dancing, and it's a shaker tune, which I don't think a shaker wrote it, but I like to think that they did. Yeah, it's a shaker tune with a Catholic um, <laughs> But the, there's a line that says, and it's talking about Gethsemane, and it says it's hard to dance with the, the devil, devil on, on your back. back. And I don't pretend to know um, how spiritual warfare works. But our New Testament writers and Jesus were steeped in that. They talked about evil. And they talked about evil in the world. So what I think about more often than hell is I think about the fact that um, if we're honest, I think we can see that evil works in the world. Mm -hmm. I think we can see that um, sometimes bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to all people. And that there's probably a hand of evil in that. I think sometimes as Christians, we strain so hard because we want to give God ultimate authority over all the things that happen on earth that we just totally leave evil out of the conversation mm -hmm. as if it doesn't exist. So I think it's hard to dance with the devil on your back. I think that evil exists in the world. I don't pretend to know exactly how all of that works. But I do think that we do a real disservice to ourselves theologically when we totally put that away. Mm -hmm. But I find it more helpful to think about evil working in the here and now than projecting forward into what all of that. So I guess for me, when you talk about justice, well, what are we up against for justice? Because if God's the only force in the world, then justice should have been achieved long before mm. any of us drew a breath. Yeah. Clearly that's not the case. Yeah. It's a gift of free will. We Which have been given free yeah. will, and we can choose, and sometimes I choose wisely, sometimes I don't. And sometimes I might even choose to do something I know to be wrong. And, you know, the, the, the question is, when does God give up on mm. <laughs> I don't Never. think God gives up. Because mm. you have been made in the image and likeness of God. One, one and of I don't think God's going to give up on that. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that I find difficult is that we, we don't talk about sin enough. What's That's Sunday up? number four, just so you're, yeah. if you're wondering. <laughs> I understand that, but I Go ahead, though. Probably, probably won't be on it, but it didn't really... Uh, Actually, you are. That in yeah. some kind of exciting way, that we understand that uh, what hell is is the absence of God. Mm. I mean, can you imagine 
this world without the presence of goodness in it. Amen. Whether it's Christian or not. You know, I have a lot of Jewish friends who do a lot of great things for humanity. And I wonder about how the Spirit of God works in their lives. And so I kind of struggle with that. And heaven for me is where God is, wherever. You know, yes. the psalmist says if you're up in the highest heavens, you're there, and if I'm down in the lowest of hell, you're, you're there. Be there. And Jesus, of course, we've been told, preached to those in hell, in the, in the Gehennas. Remember, the Jews never believed initially in heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. They believed in Sheol. And then they finally began to progress to an idea. And uh, I'll just play in the Baptist because Brandon's here. Uh, it's the Baptist that got us all stuck in the in the waters of hell, and uh, used it very effectively, I think. They said this is really important to me because I think when we have these conversations, it's important to say this may not be helpful for you, some of this, <laughs> but it's really been helpful to me. Is this notion um, that both Richard and Ryan kind of talked to about what? Where do we locate God in this question? Right. And I think that sometimes we fall into this way of thinking where we think, well, there's a finality to death and then everything changes. Mm -hmm. And we presume that God is limited in the same ways that we are. <laughs> it's a mystery to us. I think part of our hope is that it's not quite as mysterious to God. Right. And I think part of what we believe about God is that God pursues us, whether it be through Christ, whether it be through the Holy Spirit. God has been in the act of pursuing us as creation. And I do believe what Richard said with all my heart, that I don't have any evidence to suggest that God stops doing what God does because I am dead. Right. Or because you are dead or because yeah, someone else is dead. So if God is pursuing us, I may not understand what that means. I may not understand how that works, but I don't think God gives up on us. And I think that extends beyond this sphere that we know. Yeah. Because why would which, it? <laughs> which was kind of one of those, of the four things we named at the beginning of the view people have, yeah, that God doesn't doesn't give up. Um, I'm going to um, name, um, I've got an image up here that I wish we had time for Richard to say more about, but it's his picture, and it kind of has Jesus in the middle with the um, um, saints on each side, the devil kind of at the bottom, and he, if you want to talk to him about that, I know he can share lots with you, but I wish I could have found an image I saw um, when I was um, in a monastery in France, and it was this image of Jesus's hand kind of reaching down to Adam and Eve, not in hell, but in the place of the dead and pulling them forward, and just kind of lends itself to that, yeah, God doesn't give up, that, that, you know, we, that we believe in and through Jesus, that we've got this connection um, between heaven and earth and all that that means. Um, and yeah, I don't know that God would have gone to that much trouble to say, okay, well, I tried. <laughs> Didn't work. You're done. I'm done. <laughs> that was it. Um, but I am going to move us on because I want to get move from that to what you, Ron, alluded to. I think one of our problems as church is there is a huge missing piece for us. We get caught up in, in heaven and hell and salvation being about heaven and hell, and we miss the biggest piece, which is resurrection. Um, we're Easter people, right? Yes? We are resurrection people. We are not heaven and hell people. We don't come on Easter morning and say, heaven and hell exists. Hallelujah. We say, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. 
So I'm going to, oh, I have too much. We're not going to get through all this today. I'm going to have to skip around. Um, just to give a little, little history, and then I'm going to jump to the next question for them. So for the early Christian church, I mean, the future hope centered on resurrection. It was the central piece. There wasn't this kind of, um, they didn't really simply believe in life after death. They didn't really talk about going to heaven when they died. If they did, it was maybe this temporal stage before bodily resurrection. Um, this is all has Jewish roots. Um, it doesn't come from somewhere else, but there was obvious modifications that the Christians, the early church made. Um, I'm going to skip around because we don't have time for all this. It wasn't until like 150 years after Jesus' death that when a Christian said resurrection, it started to mean something different than just this bodily resurrection. Um, it became a center. I mean, resurrection was the center of the Christian hope and the Christian story. Now, obviously, they believed in a bodily resurrection. We believed in an empty tomb, but it was, you know, different. Think of that 1 Corinthians passage. Uh, we believe in an empty tomb. We believe in a bodily resurrection, but what did we start with? Listen, and I'll tell you a mystery. We will all be changed, but we can't answer how that will look. I had a professor in seminary, um, Steinmetz, who taught church history, had taught it for years, had lots of health problems, and we got on this conversation, and we were just talking about resurrection, and he just kind of held his arms out, and he's like, I better not be this <laughs> when I'm raised. So while we believe in a bodily resurrection, we're not sure how that is looked, but that is the center of our faith and our hope. Um, but it is this idea that we participate in that now because of what we believe God is doing now and will one day do. Um, I'm giving all that history because someone asked this question. When you die, does the soul go immediately to heaven or hell, or does this happen with the second coming of Christ? So I thought a good segue into how even we've changed our thinking about it. So I'll ask y'all, since clearly you have been there, when you die, does the soul go immediately to heaven or hell, or does this happen with the second coming of Christ? My response is I don't know. No idea. <laughs> I've been there in that kind of setting, but I would suggest that uh, Jesus says to the thief on the cross, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say you're going to have to wait around. Uh, N.T. Wright talks about this place. It's a, sort of an in-between place. Sounds a lot like purgatory to me. Uh, and I'd like to sit down with uh, Tom Wright and talk about that, what he really means. But I, I think that in some kind of way there's a waiting place for us, mm. that we're all together there, and that when uh, Christ returns, it will be a great and marvelous experience. Mm. But um, I, I, I can't really answer the question about hell. Um, I'd like to be a universalist and believe that everybody is gonna go to heaven, but it's quite clear to me that that's not what scripture says, and certainly, my friend William Barclay and uh, Tom Wright and even Marcus Borg kind of struggle with that whole issue. Which gets back to the tension, right? If you, if a, if you believe in a God that's going to redeem and remake, um, fix all that's broken, how does the, bro yeah, the brokenness fit into that? I have, in my life, had those experiences of the presence of God. They've been in nature, they've been in relations with people of somehow seeing the presence of God and something of the transcendent of all things brought together. 
and I don't know what happens when I die. I'll try to send you a message. <laughs> uh, I think I think somehow I will be in the midst of mm -hmm. that wholeness of creation and you know all things held together in that in that glorious presence. Uh, I think there's a something of a thing of maybe when I die, future and past and present sort of don't mm -hmm. matter anymore. Right. Because we talked about last week, God even created time. Yeah. So our and understanding so, of time, so yeah. Maybe at that moment I'm fully into the future as well as all things that have been. I, I really feel relieved not to know the answer to this question. <laughs> right. No one but would I believe thought, you anyway. I okay about it. I mean, I thought, I joked with Laurie, I said, what if I, what if I just straight face said, well, you get 45 seconds to a minute and a half to answer these key questions, and then you get a key fob, and then you have a technical challenge, but you'll have wings then, so who... There's a room uh, you report to, but you'll take yeah, a test. And, and, and now you're <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I feel that um, we don't, I do believe we don't die to nothingness because that's part of the, that's part of the witness of mm -hmm. our faith that um, we, we live to God and we die to God. Paul said that, and I believe that. So I, I think there's something, there's a hopefulness there. There's something beyond. But Ron mentioned Marcus Borg, and I think we talked about this, but it might be helpful to say this. When Borg says that we put too much emphasis on thinking about these things, mm -hmm. what he meant by that was there's a tendency for us to get caught up in our religion as being a rewards and punishment. Right. What do we get out of it? What do we get punished by? Then it becomes good and bad people, then right? Then it becomes us versus them. Right. I'm good, you're bad, that, that's the problem. Then the focus becomes on, well, me and Mamaw and the dog and Uncle Tommy and Sister Susie. And we become consumed with that as being emanation of our faith that we're just kind of worried about fire insurance for the family. Right. And then the other part is there's not enough emphasis on what's happening here in this planet. Right. And on justice issues and what God wants us to be doing, we're projecting ahead so that we lose. So anyway, I thought it was worth saying that because when we say that there's a, a, a trouble of emphasis, that's not to be dismissive of these questions. It's what does that say theologically about God would have us to be focusing on. Right. right. Which is kind of, sorry, the hope is that in this, we're, we're shifting the question a bit. Not, not denying the question, not ignoring the question, but maybe shifting how we come to it. So that's going to be a good um, segue, um, segue for here, that, that kind of saying that, you know, that maybe... Um, so, so why do we even... Um, why are we even talking about heaven and hell? We're talking about it because of salvation. That's the question we're trying to get to, right? We're trying to understand uh, what does this mean and how does this look for us? Um, I do find it interesting that the question was worded, when you die, does the soul go immediately to heaven? That can take us somewhere else too about, you know, we believe in bodily resurrection. So how does that even come into play? But we don't have time to go there. Um, come to that Wednesday night conversation at the end of the month and we'll have all the time in the world. Solve it all then. <laughs> So if we're talking about heaven and hell, because ultimately what we're really trying to get at is salvation, um, what does that mean for us? Um, so if salvation means rescue, um, what are we being saved from, and for what are we being saved to? Yeah, and I guess in my own thought, uh, as I struggle with this, the answer is um, about relationship. What's been broken in the garden is uh, relationships. Mm. Remember uh, Adam yep. and Eve were hiding out. God looking for them and asked them, "Why did you hide out?" 
And the answer is because we let you down. I think that salvation is all about the restoring of the restoration, and that's the kingdom of God. Are we going to trust that God mm. is going to rescue us, that he really wants our relationship, and then when that relationship occurs, are we willing to obey? And I think that's one of the issues for me in the, in the midst of salvation is, I think that one, one of you asked the question, how do we know if we're saved or not? Mm -hmm. And my response to that is, if we're, if we're willing to be obedient. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean we're obedient all the time or if we're perfect in it, but then indeed we want to please God. I think this question dogs us too because we love each other. Mm -hmm. And some of the most profound loss that we as humans experience is the loss of other humans. Mm -hmm. We lose people. We want answers to that. We want to be reconciled to those people. And I think what I would say is I believe that God loves us as much as we love ourselves and others. Minimally. He loves us <laughs> at, at a minimum. At a minimum. And so I take confidence in that. I mean, I, I, so, so that's, that's where my hope lies. But it also means that I, I don't have these different elements worked out. But I mean, when we say, well, why does this matter? Because we're, we're, we're preoccupied right. with this. We, we are preoccupied with the loss, the profound loss of our life. And we want our faith to answer those big questions. And it's not satisfying for us to say, don't worry about that. Well, we, that we shouldn't say that. Because that minimizes grief. It minimizes trauma. It minimizes all the things that people experience. If you're experiencing that, you are human. That is a, and, and your faith should answer that question. But I think I have taken great solace in what I believe about God and maybe not so much in terms of the particularities of how all of that right. looks. I think it's not only how we relate to one another, but I think it's how we relate to the whole creation. Right. I mean, you look at what's happening in climate change and all of that, you know, our care about one another must extend to our care about this precious earth. It is also God's being good creation. Able to yeah. see all things as somehow related to God. And we can't just be cavalier about that. Which if you if if the question that the church answers is boiled down to heaven and hell, then why does the earth matter, right? Mm -hmm. If it's all about this after, then this part doesn't matter. Well, that Revelation passage, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That they meet, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good, uh, a good, a good segue. Um, because when I think of um, salvation, the word for me that comes to mind is healing. And so I'm thinking of healing that, the, you know, healing the earth, healing that brokenness from the relationships, healing the grief and trauma we have. And when I think about um, the afterlife, it does boil down to me to being in God's presence and that that presence is what offers us healing. Um, but it, I have not been there myself either. One um, of the great parables um, about this seems to me is the, um, is the father who loses his son and goes off and triples away all of his goods and all the father can do is keep praying that they get back together right. that there's a new relationship and that's so exciting because um, the father sees the son off in the distance and he lifts up his robe something a, a, a father in that era would not have done because his skinny legs are showing and he's running as fast as he can 
and he embraces the son who was lost, but now is found. Mm. It's the whole thing about the, the sheep, yeah. Of the little boy who goes out and counts the lost sheep. That's a, that's a great image that I have. And how long does the father wait? Until the, the son comes, comes home. As long How long as it, does the shepherd look, look until he finds, until the, sheep. He finds the sheep? Yeah. Um, so we have, hang in there, one last question, <laughs> then I promise I'm wrapping up. Um, so we talked about heaven and hell because it is this conversation piece. It is kind of a preoccupation for some, but all that really gets down to salvation and what we understand about that. And we can't talk about salvation without talking about the atonement, Jesus on the cross. Um, so, um, for those of you may, atonement is basically what we believe Jesus' actions on the cross, how that action brought us back into right relationship with God. Um, so, how do you understand atonement? How does Jesus, specifically Jesus on the cross, factor into our understanding of salvation? Well, the word means that one line. together. I think Jesus' willingness to experience the whole of what it is to be alive and to die and to be vulnerable to, to, to evil. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this, this thing of, of evil in the world emanates from this, I, this question that you asked to me. Um, this is God become human. The cross is an inevitability. Yeah. If you're honest about what happens when God impacts the world and all of its trouble. And so this invokes the conversation y'all had last week about creation. What's the nature of creation? What's the nature of free will? Mm -hmm. What's the nature of the way we interact with God? Um, we, as a people, tend to kill God or hurt God when we get confronted in a powerful way. And that's the story mm. of Christ becoming man. The cross becomes an inevitability. The wonderful part of all this is that God loves us enough to, to take, take some of those wonders of God's existence and to become human. That's amazing. Yeah. The self-limitation in that, the love, the, the vulnerability yeah. of that. And so that's a wonderful idea. And that's something that makes us unique in terms of how we look at God. That's a story of ours that's very interesting yeah. and mysterious. I love what it says about what we believe about God, that He loves us enough to become human. That, that's kind of where it lies for me. I, I do not believe that you know, God had this uh, foreordained plan and just kind of watched us flounder for, what, centuries and then was like, okay, now. Um, I know it says in the fulfillment of time. Um, I just struggle with that idea. Um, but I do fully believe that Jesus dying on a cross, this act of sacrifice, of servanthood, was inevitable. That it, had, that it was the only way, um, the only story we could have had. Because otherwise, it would have said something different about who God is. So it is inevitable. So, I, so it is inevitable. Who else is channeling Marvel have, movies? Have, I am. Have its mind among you. It's also in Christ Jesus. He did not who emptied himself, body. yeah. God appeared to be grass that emptied himself and became human. Human. Mm -hmm. Taking I, I, form. I think the uh, reconciliation, the atonement, is bringing us back to Adam and Eve and the garden, and it was good. Mm. I think we forget that. It's a, the earth is a good place. It's a good place to live, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Depending on where your bucket list takes you. Yes.
you don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah, because if you try to if you try to picture it differently, if you try to picture this victorious army God who comes down and slaughters everyone, and then we're on top, that says something very different about God, right? Um, so yeah, I, uh, yeah. So the the inevitability that it would but have it to be a sacrifice. A lot of guards, it? It, it we mm, it does for a while. I think history would show it. It's, it does, feeds us well for a while, and then the bottom may crash again. <laughs> I'll know that in the long run it, it works out its, its way. And in a recent tsunami, one of my prisoners said, Boy, God sure kicked the people in, in wherever it was, in the teeth, you know, killed all those people. And I thought, oh, Wait a minute, I missed the mark here as a pastor. This wasn't what the tsunami was all about. Mm. And, um, and you know, my response to tsunamis and all kinds of things again goes back to this concept of how sin ruins the world and why the new heaven and the new earth are so important. Yes, which gets back to we are resurrection people, Amen. <laughs> not heaven and hell people. Um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Um, I will say the atonement is one where shifting the question can help. Because if you're asking, you know, why did Jesus have to die? And you, you kind of get to these, oh, because Jesus was punished in our place or it was the wrath of God. You, you get to these ways of making it a logical sense. Whereas we've kind of all four, I feel like, named that um, it's the way we come to know God in God's fullest sense. This sacrifice, servanthood, um, we learn about God. Um, I am going to wrap it up. Before I do, uh, Bert, I'm just going to make sure, sitting out there, you, you didn't, weren't thinking, oh, I've got to say this. You're good? Okay. Just making sure. Don't want to leave anybody. You are good, <laughs> he'll be He'll be back up next week, so you get to hear Bart again next week. Um, just as a way of wrapping up, um, the hope is uh, we have to be really careful of, as church, is not letting our story become um, who is and who isn't going to heaven or hell of not letting our story be about heaven and hell. We've named it here. Obviously, they're part of the story. There's conversations we can have. But the whole thing we believe is that we believe in a creator God that is remaking creation, not abandoning it. So that, that it was, it we see in scripture, you know, heaven and earth meet, and Jesus is kind of the interlocking point of that. Um, if we do make heaven and hell the point, we're almost doing the same thing that we find from those early disciples in Acts 1. Remember at the ascension of Jesus, they're standing around looking up and right before Jesus leaves and they say, is this the time you will restore the kingdom of Israel? Like they still have in their mind, this is what it's all about. Um, but it's not about in that particular moment how God was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, but how God was going to redeem and restore the world through Israel, and for us as the church, how God is working to redeem and restore through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that that's the story we have to share. And I'm going to share this one line that, um, talking about salvation, says we're saved in the present so we can play a vital role within the larger picture of, of God's purposes here and now, which you alluded to. And my friends, that'll preach, right? If all you're doing is sharing, okay, when you die, are you sure you're going to heaven? You are missing this great story about how God is working now and calling us to do this work of healing, this work of redeeming, this work of mending that which is broken here and now. Like it's happening around us and we get to be a part of it. Like that's our good news. That's what we get to go out and share. Um, and so we're missing a big piece when we forget that we are resurrection people bringing life into those dead places. I told you each week that you're going to have a takeaway. 
This week, the takeaway is um, a line from How Great Thou Art. We're going to sing it as our closing hymn, and there's a part in that hymn that is bolded, that means where I have changed the words. I did not get this. This is in N.T. Wright's book. I'm totally stealing it. But if you look at that bold, it says, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. This gets into the questions we had about what is the afterlife, the second coming, how does all that look? When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation. Normally it says what? Do you remember? And take me home. Hymns are part of our problem. Listen to the hymns we sing. Almost every closing verse, where do we go? Heaven, right? We escape out of here. Every last verse of almost every hymn we sing. But think of it this way, not in take me home. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and heal this world, what joy shall fill my heart. That'll preach, right? That is good news. That is a joyous thing to celebrate. Um, So I'm going to close with Romans 8 because someone did ask, and Ron, you alluded to it, how do we know we are saved? Um, It is about obedience um, or or knowing that, you know, God kind of has that that top place in your life. Um, But I'm going to share Romans 8 as a way to close up, but also as an answer to that. Um, We know we are saved because we believe in a God who will not abandon us. A God that is always opening up God's self to us that we meet in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, so I'm going to share from Romans 8, 31 through um, 30, what am I going through? Through 39. I can't read this without standing up. This is one of my favorite passages. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charges against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus, who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.